0: There's a common thread with successful individuals. They've worked hard, but they've also made hundreds, if not thousands, of mistakes. What if you could learn from their mistakes without any consequences? What if you could hear from talented individuals who have achieved great success in their given field? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to shorten your learning curve, learn from the best, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. I'm your host, Mike Perry. And welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Devin McConnell. Devin is the Director of Performance Science and Reconditioning with the New Jersey Devils of the NHL. Prior to working with the New Jersey Devils, he was the Head of Hockey Performance and Sports Science at the University of UMass Lowell. And before UMass Lowell, he was actually a sports performance coordinator at Stanford University. Now, Devin has a ton of practical experience, and today we're gonna to talk shop all about strength and conditioning. So stay tuned, you don't wanna miss it. All right, let's, uh, let's hear Devin, let's hear about you, let's hear where you're from, let's hear your background. I wanna, I wanna know a little bit more about you.
1: All right, as if you don't know enough, but that's okay, we'll play the game. Uh, Devin McConnell. I am the currently my role is the director of performance science and reconditioning coach with the New Jersey Devils in the National Hockey League. Um, my f- should be getting to the end of my first season in New Jersey. Uh season ended a little abruptly this year, so it's obviously with everything going on pretty interesting. Uh prior to uh my appointment here in New Jersey, I worked at uh, the University of Massachusetts Lowell for about eight years, almost nine years, uh, as the uh, various roles, but essentially the um, head of performance and sports science for the, the ice hockey team there, as well as uh, working with several other teams along the way, uh, women's soccer and field hockey and some other sports. Before that, uh, early on, kind of my first gig, real kind of gig out of college or whatever, I worked at Stanford University uh, with the women's basketball, men, men's and women's volleyball programs as the uh, performance coordinator, uh, I guess is what, what they called us at that time, and uh, and then even a little further back, started my career out at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning in the Boston area, went to school in the Boston area at Fitchburg State, and grew up on the West Coast in Seattle as a hockey player, so that's kind of the reverse uh, trajectory of my uh, my career and my, my path.
0: Nice, so yeah, well, Devin's got a little bit more of a pedigree than I do. Um, I'm just kind of a little bit uh a little bit more of a meathead but no.
1: So um <clears throat> <laughs> I've just kissed more babies than you that's all.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So um yeah, I'll do a quick bio on myself. So, been a strength coach for 16-17 years. Um we're about the same age. I'm 40. How old are you?
1: 37.
0: All right. So I'm a little bit older than you. Um maybe that's, you know, maybe the shows and maybe the shows, but um <laughs> strength coach for like I said 16-17 years. Um I've always been in the private sector. Even um after school, um, I actually went to school for sociology. But uh, right after school, I, I had no inkling that I was going to be a strength coach. And uh, luckily enough, I was training at this facility in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and uh, got friendly with the owner. and He's like, "Hey, uh, everything about being a strength coach." I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't. To be honest, I don't really know much about it. I didn't go to school for this." So I did an internship there, and I was there for uh, gosh, six years, seven years. And and during that time, I had some amazing mentors. I uh, I learned a ton. And then uh, after that. <clears throat> I uh, moved on to uh, a training facility in Woburn called Athletic Evolution. I was there for a couple of years, and then uh, eventually I, I realized it was time to open up my facility. And now, um, along with my wife, own Skill of Strength uh, in North Chelmsford, Massachusetts. We've been there for about eight years, and uh, that that's enough. Um, it, it keeps me very, very busy. Um, in addition to that, I'm lucky enough to to be an instructor for functional movement systems where I go and teach certifications throughout the U.S. and sometimes, uh, you know, get to travel overseas. And I do the same thing with strong First too. So I get to teach the kettlebell certifications and the barbell certifications. And uh, yeah, you know, besides that, I think um, if people were to kind of know me, they probably know me as either a kettlebell guy or a guy that trains fighters. Um, so that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. But um, Anyways, it's, it, you know, the background of, of of myself doesn't really make that much of a difference. I think one of the things that's unique about this is, you know, this relationship really kind of happened authentically. And I think I maybe did I reach out to you on Facebook and saying, hey, man, like we're super close. We should get together and talk shop. Is that kind of how it all started?
1: Yeah, that's how I remember. It. I I knew who you were. I'd, I'd seen your business, I, you know, again, I don't know, on Facebook or wherever. Um, and I'd seen some of your stuff and I, you know, I, I definitely knew kind of who you were and what you were up to. And, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of get a feel for people in this field, like right off the bat, like good guy knows what he's doing or kind of full of crap and not my, not my forte. And so I, I think you did reach out to me because I was in my first year at Lowell. You guys had just opened up somewhere around that time in Chelmsford, which for anybody that's not local to that. These are towns next to each other. I mean we're, we ended up even living five minutes apart from each other, you know, down the, the road several years down the road. But so yeah, I think you reached out to me, and uh, like I said, I already already kind of knew who you were, so I was glad that you did, and I think we kind of we hit it off right away.
0: Yeah, it was uh, one of those things that was pretty natural. We had some great conversation, obviously for our love for beers and we're both we're both family men, we both have kids, we both have wives and, and um, you know I think we're, we're both pretty lucky in the fact that we're supported pretty well. Um, by our spouses we've got pretty awesome families which is amazing but you know we were lucky enough to hit it off and um, we just kind of dove right in uh, in my opinion it was almost like an old friend like we just you know sat down like I don't know if we drank beer the first time but um, but yeah it was one of those things where like we just ended up hanging out talking shop and uh, and you know just uh, kind of just we talked training a lot and it was pretty natural It was pretty conversational and um uh, you know we, we definitely have different backgrounds so one of the things I wanted to ask you Devin is so you're in like you're in the world of you know let's say college to pro sports right and, and there's really two directions strength and conditioning coaches can go I mean this several, obviously but um, there is the let's call it the professional sector right the the college and pro sports which is uh, what you've done and, and the fact that you're with the New Jersey Devils is, is a pretty good indicator that you're doing a pretty damn good job at it and then there's what I do which is the private sector which is you know, I've always worked for private gyms in the Boston area. And, um, you know, I started my own gym, which is a private facility as well. But so did you always know you wanted to go into like college hockey into pro hockey or how did that, how did that start?
1: I did not even know that you could get paid to do this job until, (laughs) uh, until, uh, at least late in my late in, you know, my undergraduate, uh, uh, education when I started to intern. It was a, it was actually the, the kind of aha moment was when I interned at Mike Boyles. Uh, I, originally, I wanted to be a physical therapist. And if you kind of backpedal, the only reason I wanted to be a physical therapist is because I had spent time in physical therapy for being a beat up hockey player I played in college and, and all that. And I ended up just luck of the draw having some great PTs in my kind of last year of junior hockey before I went on to college that transitioned me from like true, you know, clinic PT to like sort of sports performance ish training. Um, And I didn't know that that those were like semi different things, but I thought, Hey, this is really cool. I've always kind of liked to train and work out and like get better. And I really enjoyed this PT experience, not being in PT, but like, I, really enjoyed like learning about the human body and all of that, like, Oh, like I'll be a physical therapist. That's what I should go to school for. It wasn't until down the road, several years. Like I, I went to a small school. We didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. I had actually had a strength coach in high school, but he was like our PE teacher. So I didn't really know that that was a thing. So it was literally junior, senior year of college where I was like, I first realized that there was an actual profession of like strength and conditioning you could you could do this job Um, and then getting to talk with people and and sort of being in the setting that I happen to be in um, learned that hey like this is a job that you could do specifically with athletes in a college setting or in a professional sports setting well I was a hockey guy I've always been a hockey guy and uh, wanted to continue to be involved in hockey so it kind of made sense in my mind hey this is a job that occurs in big time kind of college hockey and pro hockey. Oh, I should try to do that. And that's really like, that's kind of how I ended up starting out uh, and and thinking about things. And so yes, from the start of my professional career, I always wanted to be in hockey, but that was really because up until that point, I didn't even know that this job really existed. Uh, my first real job again, like outside of working for, for Mike Boyle and, and interning there when I went to Stanford, didn't have hockey. There's no hockey at, at Stanford University um, in California, but I was close to San Jose. Uh, and I got to know the head strength coach with the San Jose Sharks, Mike Potenza, who in the world of, of hockey strength and conditioning is you know an absolute legend at this point. And I basically spent all my free time hanging out, bothering, annoying, uh, taking up the time of Mike Potenza in San Jose to keep my foot in the door. And that was really how... I kind of got things kicked off and went down this path. I had never, early on, again, I never really considered or, or thought about, and maybe I didn't really understand, but I never thought about going down your path and, and kind of opening my own facility or my own, my own gym, my own business. Um, I was always sort of right from the start. As, as soon as I knew you could get paid to do it, I was interested in working in team sports in a college or in a pro setting.
0: Nice. Now, let me ask you this. Obviously, you know, some of Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning, right? I mean, Mike is a legend. How, how did you get connected with Mike and how did you get, um, you know, did you start as an intern at Mike Boyle's place or did you start as a coach? I mean, you know, for those of you, if you're in strength and conditioning, you know who Mike Boyle is and you know that if you can get in uh, as an intern or as a coach with Mike Boyle, that's, that's a pretty amazing platform. So how did that work for you?
1: You know, it's a funny, it's, a, it's kind of a funny story. A little bit prior to, to, so I started out as an intern for, for Coach Boyle. A little bit prior to that, you know, several months earlier in the year, I was, uh, was kind of getting interested in the field, uh, and I started doing some research on my own uh, online. I, I worked, it's actually one of those funny things where you look back at, at things that have happened, and it's like everything happens for a reason. I worked uh, at the front desk. Uh, at the rec center at my college gym, which was an absolute, like, there was no, it wasn't any work. Like I sat there and did homework and like went online and did stupid stuff. Right. And, uh, but because I had all this time just sitting there, I ended up like researching to some degree uh, out of boredom, other strength coaches and started to learn that, you know, this is where I started to learn that this was a profession in college sports. And I came across a woman Worked at Boston University, um, named Darcy, and her. But she was from California, and her bio, her background was really, really similar to mine, kind of up to that point. And so I, I cold called her. I probably cold emailed her, and just said, "Hey, uh, this is who I am. I'm undergrad. Like, I'd love to, co- you know, come down to BU, buy you a cup of coffee, and just talk to you about stuff." And next day, she emails me back, and she's like, "Come down." We're gonna I'm gonna show you around, we're gonna get some Starbucks, we'll hang out. And she spent like two hours with me. And she told me, you know, basically, long story short, Darcy uh told me, Hey, you need to get in touch with Mike Boyle because if you wanna do this, if you wanna get your foot in the door, this is the guy in the area, this is who you need to talk to and and get an internship with. And so I literally he she gave me Mike's email. I cold emailed Mike. Mike said, come down next week or whatever it was, uh, watch my guys train. I kind of disguised it as, you know, I'm working with my team and I'm trying to learn stuff. And he basically offered me an internship and that was really kind of the foot in the door, uh, to the field and the foot in the door for me with Mike Boyle, who is, was, is, continues to be a, you know, a friend and a mentor to me and and really the one person who I owe every step of the way for me from a career standpoint. Um, So it was, it was just one of those funny things that you look back, you're like, oh man, like just this random email because I was bored, you know, looking online in the middle of the summer sitting in this rec center where nobody was coming in. That's how, for me, that's how things started.
0: That's crazy because, um, well, first of all, the rec center thing, I I was kind of smirking when you were saying it because that was me in college. It was like, I was literally, I remember like folding towels and like just being in there, just kind of hanging out and it was an opportunity to make money. And, uh, obviously it wasn't much, but I remember just specifically being in the weight room being like, okay, you know, it's, it's something It's better than nothing. I, if I can make a few bucks and, and do my homework, et cetera, but it, was, um, the, it, was the,
1: it was the best job because exactly like you said, made a couple bucks, uh, did my homework. I basically was forced to do my homework because there was nothing to do and, uh, got to hang out in the gym. If it was empty. I could lift. When it was busy, I could flirt with the girls that came through. Like it was a perfect college job. Like it was unbelievable.
0: Well, well played, well played. You know <laughs> what's interesting though, cause you had mentioned, you know, two emails really changed the course of your career, right? I mean, yeah. it's just reaching out and, and just saying, Hey, you know, I'd love to pick your brain. And honestly, I think, I still think to this day, that's probably one of the best ways, uh, not necessarily cold calling per se, but just networking, picking up a phone, being friendly, just trying to reach out to someone and just say, Hey, I'd love to, you know, buy a cup of coffee or or lunch or whatever. And who knows what's going to happen. So that's a, that's a pretty cool story. And then obviously, you know, you've, you've had the opportunity to be with Mike and, and, you know, Mike's one of the good guys, obviously, I think if people have spent any amount of time in the strength and conditioning world, um, you know, Mike Boyle's name always comes up there. And, um, you know, I've had several interactions with Mike and he's always been just amazingly generous with his time, always willing to share great sense of humor. He's, he's definitely one of the good guys.
1: Well, and it's funny too, because if you think about, it, and obviously we're both, you know, generally speaking, we're both kind of from the, the New England strength and conditioning family, right? And, and who in that realm hasn't spent some time or come across or been influenced in some way by Mike? You're thinking like the guys that you and I are friends with and are and, and are close with and uh, you know everybody has some connection uh, to Mike especially from our neck of the woods and it's it's just really interesting to see that and then and, and to think about you know at least for me a lot of the guys that I guys and girls uh, that I interned with or or worked with right in those few years I mean there's just some unbelievable and outstanding coaches there's I don't know I mean I literally work with one of our other strength coaches with the Devils we interned together at Mike's one of our other really good buddies. We interned together. He's the head uh, guy with the New York Rangers, another one of my good buddies that spent lots of time with Mike, head guy with the Bruins. Like, if you're in the hockey world or the New England strength world, like, Mike's had an influence some way. And, and and, uh, yeah, it's funny how it works that way, you know? It's like, what is that, the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon thing? Yeah, like,
0: yeah. <laughs> something like that? No, that's that's pretty cool.
1: You speak – you brought up an interesting point, though, about how just a couple of emails – really sort of changed the trajectory of my my career uh, and, and how networking and, and, and reaching out to people is so important. Do you get a lot of uh, sort of emails or messages from young coaches still to this day uh, asking for advice or asking for information?
0: Yeah, so I think, I mean, yes, I do. I mean, you know, I, it's not like they come pouring in every day, but I, I think uh, – the, the people that reach out to me, I think there's a, a couple different ways, right, that they want to reach out, or they want to know about, and I think one is because they see the fact that I'm getting to work with the UFC guys, right, and they want to, and maybe they're into mixed martial arts or jujitsu wrestling, and they, they want to learn about how to train fighters, and it's just different because, you know, training fighters is just, it's a different animal, and it's still really new in the world of strength and conditioning. Granted, the sport's been around for a while, but um, you know, strength and conditioning for, for combat athletes is, is, is still developing rapidly and, and still pretty new. So I say that's one way. I think another way um, people reach out is, uh, you know, because I am lucky enough to teach and present, people want to know, hey, how do I go and work for a company like that? Or how do I go and teach and present? And then a lot of the times people just ask about like, you know, how do you open your own gym? And how do you start your own gym? And those are probably like the three buckets. But, uh, you know, I try to, when I can, um, answer those questions as much as possible. But like, if someone's like, how do I start a gym? I'm like, (laughs) and and I hate to say, but a lot of the times, um, I have to be brutally honest because I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, be a Debbie Downer and be negative. But I think people think that if you're a successful personal trainer, the next step Right. Is if in the private sector, at least the next step is to open your own gym. And and I explained to them like, Hey, it's cool. Like we're eight years in and and we're successful and we're profitable, which is pretty awesome. But man, it's hard. Like you look at this whole quarantine thing and being a small business right now, it's just like, Oh man, this is, this is brutal. So, um, you know, I think that's probably when, or the the most often where people reach out to me and just, you know, want to know about like how I got here or what I did, um, and then, you know, occasionally there's some training questions, but it's interesting because I don't, I don't get those in depth, like training questions that are super, super complicated. Um, a lot of the stuff that people ask me is a little bit more higher level. Like, and, and honestly, I, I'm, I don't think I'm smart enough to go down that rabbit hole. And, you know, there's some guys out there that can answer the, the really complicated stuff way better than I could. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to, to help people out and answer those questions. But at the same time, it's, um you know, I feel like as I've gotten older, maybe I'm turning into, uh, you know, the the grumpy guy that's telling people to get off their lawn. But (laughs) I I think that, uh, you know, I I just try to be honest with people because I've seen people make that mistake of like, I want to open my own gym. And next thing they know, you know, they borrow a little bit of money, they buy some gear and they open up and then they're like, shit, there's no money left. And now I got to do this, this and this. So, um, but I, I try to do my best (coughs) to, um, you know, to just be generous with my time, or sometimes I just miss things and I'm a knucklehead because I've got, I'm getting pulled in a million different directions. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of fun, but at the same time, like anything, as you know, there's, uh, there's ups and downs and there's, there's pros and cons. Um, so let me ask you this, Devin, kind of going back to you. If someone is looking to get into team sports, they want to work at a college, maybe they have a goal of, uh, you know getting into pro sports like what, what what advice would you give them like if you were just sitting down like we are what would you tell them
1: yeah i mean one of the things that i've learned uh over time is that probably the most important first step not probably i would say the most infor- the most important first step if you want to get into either one of those settings and they are they're distinctly different things so you have to decide uh, you really need to decide kind of which way you want to go, which is tough if you're kind of, I mean, 23 years old and how are you supposed to know what you want to do? But, um, the most important thing is to get your foot in the door because I can tell you this, uh, from firsthand experience, uh, I'll even give you the, I'll give you this story. Um, so I, I got my foot in the door, uh, and, and got into collegiate sports. That, that was the direction that I, uh, it was really the first opportunity, the first real job that I was uh, pushed towards and and got an opportunity for, and quite frankly was over my head at the time. but I got into collegiate sports I was got a job at Stanford University. Um, so I'm in college sports, right? I wanted to get the goal had always been really once I kind of knew what I wanted to do, the goal had always been to uh, to work in the NHL again, I'm a hockey guy, hockey player um, i to this day, I still, I want to win the Stanley Cup. I want, I want my name on the Stanley Cup. That's like the, that's the driving force, right? Um, several years in, I was pre- four years into my career after my first year in college hockey, after I'd left Stanford, came to Lowell, um, another opportunity fell on my lap uh, to take a, a job in the, in the NHL with a team head job. Um, I turned it down quite frankly, because with the exception of the job, you know, being, you know, the, the paycheck saying NHL in it, the job itself was, it was a bad job. It was worse. I, I was in a good job, but it was much worse than the job I was in from every standpoint, again, except for that, uh, you know, family-wise, lifestyle, pay, you name it. Um, so I turned it down and I didn't, I wasn't brash enough to think that, hey, that, that, no big deal. The next one's around the corner, but I thought, okay, like, I think I'm getting pretty good at this and I'm building a name for myself. Like there'll be an opportunity. Uh, and there, there had been several opportunities over the years, uh, opportunities to, to interview for positions. And at that point, every time I got to that level and was able to interview for a position in the NHL, uh, basically what kept coming back to me was, you know, you'd be great for this. You're ready for this. We like you a lot. Uh, But this other guy has uh, two years as as an assistant in the league or a couple years in the minors uh, working in minor pro hockey instead of college hockey. And so we're going to go with them. And it always, quite frankly, it always pissed me off because I knew I was ready and I could do the job or at least I believed in myself. But the reality was, and if you put yourself in the shoes of, you know, in this case, the, the general manager, the reality was the safe bet was the guy with some experience in that setting. I didn't have my foot in that door. I had my foot in, in college sports, but it's different. So I, I, it's a long ways to come around to say that I think the most important first step is to get your foot in the door. So what does that really mean? Um, that means if you want to be in college sports and work in that setting, um, quite frankly, the, the route that n- is necessary, you, you're going to have to have uh, a college education. You're going to have to most likely have a master's degree at some point, at least be working towards it. You're going to need to get the CSCS certification, which is almost exclusively necessary in college sports. The CSCCA as well, um, but you're going to have to get credentialed in that direction. Uh, it's just the, it's just the, the nature of the beast. Whether you agree or disagree, those are the things you have to do. And then, the first job to get into college sports is usually, either some type of, uh, you know, unpaid or very low paid internship or graduate assistantship where you're basically working for free and your your pay quote unquote is getting your foot in the door um pro sports is kind of, is really kind of the same thing it's not better or worse it's just different and if you want to get into pro sports getting your foot in the door as a again a uh you know uh assistant strength coach or whatever in with a minor league team or a Uh, you know an intern hopefully a paid intern but probably not even paid to to start out with like literally getting your foot in the door so that the next time a job comes up you're the guy who's been at least in the locker room in that setting because once you're in that door this is one thing i've learned now like now that i'm in this world i've managed to get into the nhl after a long time trying um unless i screwed up really badly like i may, i'm (laughs) which hey let's I'm kind of an idiot. So we could see, but, uh, but the reality is like, I'm in pro sport. I am not just pro hockey, but now I'm in pro sports and it's just a different, it's just a different look. And it's not that I'm better or smarter or anything than other people there's a lot of people smarter than me. Um, but I now have this advantage <laughs> from this perspective of getting into this setting. And now I'll, I'll always have that in my back pocket. So that, that's the first step is if you you kind of know where you want to go, especially if you're young, again, we can debate the whole, like, should interns be paid and this and that. And like, there's a, a great conversation to be had with that. But the way it is right now, you're not going to make any money. You're going to work terrible hours. It's, it's brutal. It's not fair. It's wrong. It's all these things. And guess what? It's what you have to do. So if you want to do it, suck it up, especially if you're young because that's what you have to do to be able to get in.
0: Now let me ask you this and and I love your your uh your brutal honesty because honestly like in in my world if you want to be successful it's very similar but um the thing I wanted to ask you is from the day that you started uh, I guess the day that you could have labeled yourself as a strength and conditioning coach right from that day how long did it take you to get into the
1: NHL how many years? Uh let's see I would I, this has got to be 13 or 14 years now that I've been doing this. So, so uh, we'll say, we'll call it 14 years.
0: So 14 years. I mean, that's, think about, think about that amount of time. I mean, it's, it's obviously you've, you've paid your dues and you deserve to be there, but I think a lot of people in, in the world of the internet these days, right? A lot of people think, well, if you can build up your social media and this and that um, you know, you can be an overnight success, but um, honestly, like 14 years to get into the NHL, that's, that's a freaking long time. But it's obviously it's, you know, in it, it, for you, it's worth it. And it's your it's a passion of yours. But it's I love the fact that like, guys, this stuff doesn't happen in two years. It doesn't happen in three years. It doesn't happen in five or six years, unless you have some really good connections. But it's, you know, a decade and a half that it took you to get there. And well, even
1: I mean, for yourself, like, to for you guys to be to, to be financially successful and, and feel like you're rooted and really have something built i mean how long has it been for you
0: well we've been it it, it would have been our eight-year anniversary this april 1st um obviously with the with the whole uh you know coronavirus scenario but i would say the first it, it was probably wasn't until like four years in but yeah. that would have that was also you know 10 years into my career right? right right um and and we went into the business not knowing honestly i we didn't know how to we didn't know how to run it I, the only thing I knew is that I had some potential. I wasn't a great trainer and uh, I still think I have a lot to learn, but I wasn't like, honestly, for the longest time, I wasn't a good trainer. I was a really bad trainer. I would just like beat the bag out of people and make them sore and make them puke and stuff. It was really not good, but I I eventually learned. Luckily, I learned the hard way. Um, But um, when we, when we opened the gym, I, I I didn't know anything about uh, running a business. Um, I just knew that I had a good work ethic and that I wasn't going to stop busting my ass. And that was it. And then luckily, my wife, at that time, when we were deciding to open the gym, she was in corporate America. So she was in a, a working for a, a software company doing marketing and business. And she, she did not like it, but she was good at it. Because she's one of those people, she can sit in front of a computer for literally 14 hours and get shit done. And it's, she's like a cyborg. I always tell her, I'm like, I can't compare to you right now. Like, because like we're both doing computer work and she can, I've never seen anybody sit in front of a computer and and do what she can do. But luckily she knew business, she knew numbers, she knew accounting. And I was decent at training and we made some mistakes along the way, both, you know, just from a systems uh, standpoint, from a personnel standpoint, we did, you know, we goofed up a few times here and there, but we knew that like we learned from our mistakes and we were pretty good at making decisions before the, the crap at the fan. Um, and now like year, year eight, we, this could have been our best year yet, but obviously with, with the
1: right, right. coronavirus
0: right now, um, it's, it's, uh, it's putting the brakes on things, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a long time. And, uh, you know, now I feel like we know how to run a business. Like I, I always, uh, you know, I always say to people like, man, if I were to start over, which hopefully I wouldn't have to, um, I think we could do a much better job just because we've made so many mistakes. Right. Over the years, but now we're at a point where it's like okay we know we know how to run a gym, we know our model, we know what works for us and and we know what we're good at, and we know what we're bad at and um you know we know who our target audience is and we know who our demographic is but uh yeah it's it's like anything it takes years and uh and for me, it was just simply just work work work, and I'm sure same thing with you, like you've got a work ethic, and I think that's a big part of it is you've got to be willing to just dive in and just work. And, um, and like you said, you're going to, you're not, sometimes you're not going to get paid. Um, sometimes you're going to have a shitty job, but if you want to, if you want to establish yourself as, um, as a really good coach or, um, or in any, in any field, you got to do those extra things. And, um, you know, I think we're both at that age where we're a little old school and we're a little new school, right? Like, cause I remember starting going, like, I remember reading, like, um, And this wasn't even, I don't even think strengthcoach.com was out. But I remember reading the first stuff like on the internet was like, I think it was like Ryan Lee's boot camp thing or something that that, like, I don't know if Boyle was involved with it, but I remember reading that stuff and being like, you know, what is this stuff? And then, um, and some of the other stuff came out, but it was just like, uh, it was just crazy because it's so different now. And I, I love the fact that I have that old school experience. Like if you're a good coach, you were busy and it wasn't because of Instagram or social media or Facebook it's because you were good and you hustled. And, uh, you know, I still think these days it's important to, to do those things, but I think, um, in the world of social media and of social media, you can, you can, you can get away with a little bit more fluff, right? You can, you can BS your way through things. And, uh, um, you know, for me, at least, uh, social media is, is definitely a, um, it's a love hate relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that like for you in, in pro sports, how important is social media for you? Or does it not even really matter these days?
1: It's funny, I, I was actually having this a little bit of this conversation and, and thinking about uh, the social media thing yesterday or the day before with somebody. Um, I think it's a good question. I, I'll be honest, personally, I, I'm on social media quite a bit, especially Twitter. is kind of the Twitter and Instagram, although Instagram's a mix of like my kids being donkeys and me making fun of them slash training stuff. But Twitter is, for me at least personally, uh, Twitter is for the most part is kind of like a strength and conditioning professional sort of outlet. Um, And I I find a lot of value in it from a networking standpoint, quite frankly. Uh, Just in the last couple weeks as we've all been shut down and sitting around, um, I've ended up having three or four, five... uh, conversations that started with sort of introductions on Twitter or, or from something I posted or from somebody else with people literally all over the world. I I talked the other day at a zoom call the other day with a, uh, a coach and researcher in Paris, France, another guy in the Toronto area Um, two or three or four, like I said, just in the last few days, because of stuff from social media and part of that's everybody right right now is cooped up and what the hell else do you have to do I guess but um but yeah so I I find value in I guess I'll specifically say Twitter as an out as a as a platform uh because I just find it a place that it, it listen and it can go off the rails, don't get me wrong. But if you keep it on the rails, uh an outstanding resource to interact with people. I mean I, I'm interacting daily with coaches and practitioners and researchers and folks in the field all over the friggin' world. Mm-hmm. Like how else, at what other time in our, in our history, could you even do that? I mean, again, you talk about when, when you and I started, like, I'm going back paper copies of programs and like, there wasn't really an internet to like be on with people and there was no Instagram and you, you couldn't, if you were a good coach, you're coaching people. Mm-hmm. That's how you were a good coach. Um, and you certainly didn't know the guy in Northern Ireland that I'm now good buddies with yeah. from Twitter. Like that didn't happen, but, but now that happens. So I still see a ton of value in it, but you yeah, be careful, right? Cause it can, it, like I said earlier, it can go off the rails and people can go in the wrong direction and there's a lot of fluff and there's, there's like anything, I guess there's two sides to every coin, but I try to see and utilize the, the positive side of that coin, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, social media is a, uh, is a very interesting animal. Like I, I try to, I, I avoid arguments. I avoid, you know, the trolling. I avoid, cause honestly, like um, n- you're never going to get anything accomplished when people are just bad-mouthing each other. And um, I always think of a quote and and I think the first time I heard it was, uh, was from uh, my good friend, Brett Jones. And he was saying, um, you know, don't roll around with pigs in the mud, you get dirty and they like it. Yeah. Right, and that that to me is is the uh, the social media in a nutshell. Like I love to be able to share information and just share content, but also read other people's content. But I mean, there's been those times. It's it's not so much lately, or maybe it's just because I blocked those people, or just you know took them <laughs> off my feed. But yes, I mean, the second you say anything about what you believe, there's always going to be that one person that whether they're going to either they're just going to you know blow up your feed or they're just going to be talking behind your back, just talking shit. And I'll be honest, man, I, I've, I've done a few things on social media in the past where I, I was chirping and I was just being a kind of a, just of a, a cocky douche and I had no business doing that. And I look at it now I'm like, what the hell was I doing? Like that was just yeah. so stupid, but um, I, you know, it's just being young and trying to, I, I think maybe prove a point. I don't know what the hell I was doing to be honest with you, but um, yeah, I mean, I just, the one thing I don't like about it's just the, the, you know, the bad mouth thing and um, you know, the second you say one thing and you believe another thing or you work for this company or you work for this company or you believe in this, there's always going to be people doing this and doing this. And I think uh, one thing that I try to do, and I know we've talked about this, is like, listen, you can take information from every system, from every coach, and you can take the good stuff and apply it to what you're doing. And if there's stuff that you don't like or that maybe doesn't interest you, you don't have to use it. And honestly, like, I'm definitely a conglomeration of the people that I've stolen from and ripped off. You know, I, I, I have my, my heavy influences, right? But at the same time, man, there's, there's people out there and uh, they'll say something or, you know, write something. I'll be like, holy hell, like, that's a fantastic idea. So um, I'm, in the, I'm in the mindset uh, and the belief that, hey, you can, you can learn something from just about anybody if you're willing to be open.
1: Well, and you can, and that's the thing, too, is one of the, one of the early experiences I had, and I think it, I think it uh, carries over to, to this conversation about social media, like some of the most important lessons you can learn are often from uh, I'll say negative experiences. Right. And I'll and this is, this is the specific example I have in my head that early on in my career, I, I did an internship at another place. Uh, and and it wasn't it, it wasn't good. Like it wasn't a for me, it was not a it was not a good experience from the standpoint of I I didn't agree with almost anything that was going on there or the the way it went about. Um it just, you know, whatever category you want to throw out, uh it, it wasn't good in my mind. Uh and I and listen, I was young, so what do I really know? But what I learned from that experience, I remember being asked one time, like, oh, how's it going over there? Like, what are you learning? i said well what i'm learning is how i how i'm not going to do things when i'm in charge how i'm not going to treat people how how i'm specifically how i'm not going to program things and and it was it was an experience that was important for me because i saw an, through another lens of things i didn't agree with and i could have I, I suppose i wasn't smart enough to it's not like i thought about this at the time but i could have been hostile to that you know and said oh the mf these guys and this and that and Uh, and you know, (laughs) social media existed back then, chirp them online and all this, and it would have been pointless. And I happened to take the course of, okay, like, this is not for me. These are the reasons why I'm going to remember those lessons. And you know what? I still think back about that. And that was 14 years ago. And, And I think social media can be the same thing. Like you can see stuff online on Twitter, on Instagram, on whatever. And, and you can be like, you know what? Like, no. Don't agree with that, think that's wrong, uh, doesn't have a place in my setting or in in my system, and guess what, you cannot you cannot say anything, you cannot say anything negative and just take that experience and learn from it yourself, right? People don't like you don't, and then on the other side of that, uh, to your point about blocking people is the best thing you could possibly do. Like you don't have to interact with them when they chirp. Like you can choose to just cool, good, that's good on you, man. Like. It's how I do things, you know, like um, most of us, I think in this field who are, I won't say most, I'll say all of us in this field who are genuine and doing it for the right reasons uh, are doing the best we can with the knowledge that we have uh, and the settings that we're in and the circumstances we're engaged in. And we all do things a little bit differently. And I can agree with 90% of what you do and and disagree with 10%. And that's okay, because we're in different spots. We're, we're doing different things. And we just have a different outlook. And that's, to me, I I enjoy that. Like, I like that part of it. But for some reason, that gets a lot of people's, you know, tail feathers up. Like, it's a, it's an interesting interesting thing with social media. But that's the thing I try to remember is you don't have to engage with those people when they're acting that way. And they're probably <laughs> acting that way for some, I tell myself at least, some insecurity that they have or some issue that they have and and so i try to i try to uh give them a little pity and just feel bad ah it's too bad this guy must be in a tough spot that's why he's telling me i'm full of shit because (laughs) he's having a tough day i'll try to let it go i don't always do a great job of that but that's (laughs) why i I try to i try to do that depends how many ipas i've had
0: yeah right it's yeah Uh, after uh, so many years you know, your, your give a shit level just drops a little bit and then you start saying things not, um, but you made a good point. Like 90%, man, like I've seen so many people that they, they argue about the minutia, right? They argue about these little things that make no sense, but yet people get heated and they're chirping at each other. Yet, if you were to sit down with that individual that maybe is you're chirping with and have a conversation face to face, I think it would be cordial. And I think most people would agree on the majority of things. and. um and I, I just kind of wish that would happen a little bit more, because uh, again, it's um, you know, why do we argue about the five or ten percent when we agree on the ninety or ninety-five percent? Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's it's controversy and it and it's press, and we all know that trolling goes a long way, and and writing controversial things gets attention. Yeah. Um. I mean, think of it this way: like, how how many years has the whole um, back squat debate thing been like? you know, people are like pulling teeth and um, just having like absolute meltdowns over this stuff and like name calling. And it's just, it's amazing to me. And it's like, dude, it's a freaking exercise. That's it. That's all it is. Like the end result, the end result is really what matters, right? I mean, I always tell people, and I remember one time I was, uh, I forget what it was on Facebook or social media, but I was like, I posted a question. It was along the lines of, if, if an individual meets his goals, his or her goals, and they do it and they're still healthy, does the process matter? And you would have thought that I made fun of people's <laughs> grandmother. Oh, what about this? And what about that? No, I said, if the individual meets their goals yeah. and they're healthy, does it matter what they did? And well, of course. It,
1: yeah. And, but here's the key to, in, to me, what you just said. Uh, and this is, the, this is where you can differentiate people in my mind is you said did the individual meet their goals meaning your focus in that question is on you know in your in your case the client yeah in my case you know one of my my athletes it's not it's not did they meet their goals doing the things i like to do or doing the things i hold to be self evident did they meet their goals now it is absolutely our job to, to guide that in a direction that we believe and see to be the best fit and the safest and the healthiest and all of that. But at the end of the day, like they're paying, you know, in your case, they're paying you to help them get to where they want to go, you know, like, and listen, there's gotta be lines in the sand for everybody and there's whatever, but like, that's the key. And when people forget that, or don't think about that, it's like, but this, but this, but this. My my thing, my thing is more important than their thing. Well, they're gonna stop giving you money then. <laughs> like, you know, my athlete, my my NHL players, if I go too far down that rabbit hole of like, you gotta do it my way, and they really don't want to do it my way, well, guess who's guess who's out of a job? It ain't yeah. them. You know? Yeah. Them now I try to I'm again, I try to steer and, and my job is to try to to educate and to move them in the direction that I see best fit. But at the end of the day, it's getting them to their goals.
0: Yeah. And and honestly, you're, you're dealing with multimillionaires, right? You're dealing with um, the best of the best out there. And like, obviously your goal is to, you know, like you said, you want to win a Stanley cup, like that's a goal of yours. And I'm sure that's a goal of your, your, your players and a goal of the organization that you work with. So, you have to do everything you can to help them along with that process and not jack them up. Because if you were like so adamant that every player has to do this and every player has to do this and you, you absolutely try to, you know, shove that, that square peg down a round hole. I think we, you would be in a scenario where you'd probably be, you'd probably be dealing with more tweaks, more injuries and more things that you don't need to, because um, I'm sure that in, in the world of pro sports, not only, well, I've I've worked with pro athletes, not in a team organization, but, um, you know, sometimes you gotta just let certain things go, even if you don't, even if you don't necessarily agree with it, but if it's not going to injure them, like, do you ever have any guys like that you work with, whether it's presently, you don't have to name names or in the past where they would just do weird things, but you're just like, or maybe they just had these, these practices that they've done since they were younger. And as long as it's not going to jeopardize them or injure them, you just kind of let it go. Does that, does that ever happen to you?
1: That happens every day. In pro sports. <laughs> that's like, that's honestly, God, that's the name of the game that there, here's a big, for anybody that's not familiar with either the settings, the college setting and the, and the pro setting college setting was like 100% my way. Like I'm the general in that room. We're doing it this way. And I, I never operated with a hammer. Like I, my, my approach has always been uh relationship based and communication and educational. And this is why we're doing this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, we're like the weight room was, it was practice. It was just like going on the ice. Coach says, we're running this drill. Like you're not, you don't get to do a different drill. Like this is what we're doing. Yeah. This is how we're doing it. Right. The weight room in college sports for the most part, uh, at least anywhere I've ever been, This is how that's how it operates. Pro sports, guess what? Uh, No, it does not operate (laughs) that way. All right, and for a number of good reasons. Okay, one, these guys, for the most part, are older, are more experienced, have trained, and one, they're literally the best of the best. They've earned the right to do what they want to do because they've earned the right to do what they believe is best for them. Because at the end of the day, they are only judged on their performance on the ice. That is the only thing they are judged on, and that judgment is how they put food on their table for their families. A lot of good food, mostly usually. They make a lot of money, but at the right, like that's it. It doesn't matter how much what they can do or don't do in the weight room. If they go out and their job is to score a bunch of goals, and they score a bunch of goals, they get paid. And that is, that's the end. Of, that's that's it. That's what's important. That's what matters. So they've got a routine that they learned 15 years ago that I think is antiquated and crazy and ridiculous, but it's not unsafe. And it's helped them, at least in their mind, do what they do and get to be one of the best, one of the best 700 people in the world at that sport. Who am I to tell them? No, put the mini band above your knees, not below it. <laughs> like, nah, it ain't right. going to work like that. Um, so yes, every day. And, and mo- again, most of these guys, a lot of these guys, especially the older guys, the vets, they have their routines. And that's why they're as good as they are. Again, whether I think it's perfect or not, they know what works for them. My job is, is to be a resource, to help guide them, and to find areas to develop relationships, to nudge things in the direction that I think are actually a better approach, but always remembering that at the end of the day, uh, I'm not the boss, they're the boss, and there's a reason why they are where they are.
0: Let me ask you this. like, Do you have any any good stories about some weird like, habits or weird things that like, maybe one or two of your guys have done? You don't have to name names, but I'd love to hear I'd love to hear something that that would give people a little bit of a chuckle or a laugh or just maybe just people go, what the hell?
1: Uh, yeah. So it, uh, it often revolves around the European players. I'll say that uh, they're all very interesting uh, in their own ways. And, and so it, again, in hockey, like we have guys from Sweden and Finland and Russia and Switzerland and all over the map. Right. Um What are the weird things that they do? There's some weird like pregame routines that uh, some of these guys will do that are – some of what they do is like, oh, like that makes makes a lot of sense. Like I'd never think to do that before a game, but like, okay, I see where you're going. And they kind of come to it innately. Like we have one guy who is a really, really explosive, fast, powerful – probably one of the fastest skaters I've ever seen and he he goes through this whole routine pregame, all these different plyometric variations and drop jumps and and all this stuff and I'm looking at it and I'm like man like that is like it's actually brilliant like what you're doing you innately know like how to prime your nervous system to do the thing that you make money doing which is being one of the fastest human beings in the world uh at your sport um one of our other, uh, Europeans, uh, comes in to the, to the weight room pre-game. I don't know what he's doing kind of before this, but it's relatively late. Like guys are already getting dressed and he's just like coming in the, into the weight room. Um, and he typically kind of, he kind of saunters over uh, to the desk and the first thing he does is take his teeth out and he puts it on the, on the desk. So that's step number one is just removes teeth. Just get those wow. out of the way. No, classic. those things those always get in
0: the way. Those freaking classic,
1: teeth. yeah, classic hockey move. <laughs> uh and then uh we have some some BFR uh, equipment in our facility. And he goes over and he puts on the blood cu- the blood pressure cuffs on his legs and he does like thirty like quarter squats, takes those off goes and lays down like on the wall, puts his feet up on the wall and like kind of does like the growing stretch with the feet on the wall. Hangs out there for like three minutes. Comes back over, picks up his teeth. There's usually like a soccer ball. <laughs> I love, don't, for, don't want to forget those. No, the teeth are important. Uh, I think he takes <laughs> them out for the game, but he puts them in then. And then he gets a soccer ball out and he kicks a soccer ball around for like two minutes. And then he saunters up to the locker room and he goes out on the ice usually that's scores awesome. usually scores one or two points a game and like very casual like no teeth like no big deal yeah
0: you're not going to tell that guy not to do
1: his, his routine oh no, and that's the thing it's like <laughs> yes, there's a bunch of stuff i want this guy doing and you know what over time i i'd like to say like i'd like to be able to move that needle a little bit but like dude's late 20s early 30s like has played in the olympics i mean what am i who am what are you gonna say
0: you say <laughs> that that's funny so um I'll tell you a funny story about a, a couple scenarios that I uh, experienced so um early in my career uh, I got friendly with a bunch of guys from the uh, New England Revolution and um one of my good friends at the time we're still actually we're, we're still in touch um you know he was playing and this is when uh gosh I don't even know when this was this is probably 2002 or three like back in the like Taylor Twelman days and and uh you know yeah. with a really a lot of good good players but they had some also some foreign players and i remember there was this one guy and they said the guy would you know he'd take vaseline uh, not vaseline uh, icy hot oh. and, he'd, and he'd shove it up his nose and eat it and then rub it all over himself before oh. games and that was just something he did and everyone's like dude it's bananas but this guy was like you know he had a, an amazing career uh, he might have been from argentina i forget the guy's name but, but yeah this guy had a career he was like renowned as one of the best you know players in his country but he would have these weird kind of things that he did but like like what what do you who are you to say that that's not a good thing you've been doing that your whole life and you've you know you've you've played in world cups and you've done uh some things that people have never done before so um you know eat sure eat some icy hot man put it in your nose (laughs) do what you gotta do rub it all over your chest god God bless you buddy (laughs) that was one and i'm trying to think of some other ones um some weird things people would do. I can't think off the top of my head right now. I will tell you a funny story. I was, I was working with a guy uh, in the NFL and uh, it was at the end of maybe his first or second contract with Patriots and he's a buddy of mine. And uh, you know, he's like, Hey, I need you to come down and work with me. I was like, okay, cool. So I, I started working with him. And and at this point I was really into functional training, whatever the hell that is. And um, you know, he's like, so we finished our workout and he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to finish up over here. And he just hopped on and he was doing um, uh like this little mini circuit of, um, you know, quad extensions where he just, he'd do like sets of 20 quad extensions on the machine. And then he'd go over to the hamstring machine, do like 20, and then he'd do calf raises. He'd do like four rounds of that, right? And uh, he's like, I've been doing this since I was in high school. I was like, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, dude, this is not functional, right? right like, right. there's nothing functional about quad extensions and hamstring work and, and calf raises, right? Um, and and at first I wanted to I didn't say anything because to be honest with you I was like I was a bit intimidated and I I was probably a bit over my head, but uh, I remember thinking about it down the road going, who am I to say that that wasn't good for him? It wasn't hurting him. The guy had an amazing career. Um, he was a, a Pro Bowler and All Pro a couple times. Won some rings with the Patriots, right? And at first I was like, this is stupid. But then I realized I was like, you know what? Maybe this is this guy's his safety net, maybe this is his binky, maybe this is what he thinks he needs to do to keep him healthy. And as long as it's not jacking him up and hurting him, who might have said that that's a bad idea? Even though functionally, I thought it was kind of dumb, but um, it's just crazy how, again, I'm sure you have so many stories about these these guys, but um, it's just amazing when you, you surround yourself with these the best of the best. And they can be doing some stuff in our eyes that are completely dumb. But who are we to say that that it's... Right it's inappropriate or it just because it's not what we
1: believe well and and to that point like whatever that was that he was doing and and, and the icy hot and the the you know the BFR the and the soccer ball and like maybe that stuff is putting those guys in a in a mental state in a in a mind frame that they need to be in to be able to compete at that level. And it really has nothing to do with the physiology. No. It's, it's physiology in our eyes. We're watching the We're watching movement, but it's not really that for them, you know, at some subconscious level, it's, it's some, like you said, kind of, it's the, it's their binky, right? It's putting them, it's a the thing that makes them helps them get into a, a mind state that is necessary to be at that level. And that's one of the things that I, I've, I've, really learned this year and taken away the season and and i read something the other day that really stood out to me that uh and it, it made me picture kind of the the inverse u graph where like the beginner the novice athlete needs uh very basic you know very vanilla basic training and just kind of repetition at the at the basics and nothing fancy the elite athlete also needs the same thing because like in a lot of people think, well, the elite athlete needs uh elite, advanced, crazy, complex training. What they really need is almost what the beginner needs. Very vanilla, very basic, because at that level, uh, you know, it, for us, you know, in the NHL, for you, MMA guys, like going, you know, in the UFC, like what they really need is such a extremely high degree of, skill and technique and tactical and psychological ability in their very specific sport that what the physiological piece of the puzzle is what our piece is is just the very basic foundation The folks in the middle and and i look at this now i read this the other day and i thought okay like early in my career i worked with high school kids very vanilla right now i'm working with with you know the elite of the elite in in ice hockey Quite frankly, fairly vanilla how we train. My college guys, we got super complex and super like in depth. And I think that part of that was because these guys I work with now, they're at such a high level from a skill standpoint that like my job, I'm not trying to make them better. I'm just keeping them floating so they can go on the ice and be masterminds. Yeah. The young kids, you're just, they're learning. But those guys in the middle that, like, the, my college guys were really good hockey players and extremely well trained. Like college hockey, you can really, really, really train. We could do some crazy stuff, but they kind of needed it at that point at the end stage of their career. Cause, like, college hockey is not as good as it is, it's not the NHL from a yeah. talent standpoint. So, like, for those guys to move up, they had to do some stuff. They had to get to a point where training was really important. Whereas I think with with the the really elite people, it's very much found. It, it goes back to foundations.
0: Do you think that strictly from a strength and conditioning, we're not talking skill, we're not talking anything else. Do you think that the the collegiate athletes in a good program like you Lowell when you were there, do you think that the act the athletes were were stronger, faster, and more conditioned? Than the NHL guys, or do you think that it's maybe the same and just the skill level's different? Like, because um, it, it, you know, from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of like, like you said, like guys in like the college world, they would just do so many impressive things in the weight room, and then once they got to the the highest level, it was no longer about seeing how much they could power clean; it was about keeping them on in the game. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that you does that does that seem accurate to you?
1: Yes, hundred uh, percent. My my most of my college juniors and seniors at Lowell would, and, I, and it's not. I'm not guessing this. I, I know because they would go to you, you know NHL development camps in the summer, and they would do testing, and it was it was a feather in my cap. Quite frankly, like they would come back and they would be in the top two, the top five, whatever of testing for whatever NHL team went to. They went to. They would kill testing. Um, they were in great shape. They were strong. My guys were big and strong and fast. And those were things that we needed at Lowell to be successful. Like that was very important. The physical mm-hmm. development for our program was really important for success. Um, but the reality is, for the most part, and we uh, we had some guys that, that who have gone on to play in the NHL and play in, in the American League in pro hockey fantastic players. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the cream of the crop in the NHL is a different, it's a different animal. It's a different level. And mostly they're not as strong. They're not as, you know, big muscular. Um, they might be, they might be as fast or faster, which I think is an interesting, I think there's some some differences that happen with that. Um, but Mike, so yeah, in general college guys were bigger and stronger than a lot of the nhl guys but man the nhl they are so freaking talented like it's if you're if people listening are not hockey people i can't and i am a hockey person and i can't the 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 level of skill the ability of these guys in the nhl and even the nhl to the american league which is like the our our triple a like minor league level a farm system is oftentimes it's it's like night and day. It's just crazy. And that's what really differentiates guys. So again, it's not, it's not me increasing a guy's power clean or his squat or his bench that is going to make him a successful NHL player. Like that's just not, they're already here. They're here for a reason. It ain't what they do in the weight room.
0: Isn't that funny? Because, you know, and, and I'm not going to speak for you, but you know, I always thought that you know, if I can just create the biggest, strongest, fastest athlete, they'll be the most successful. And um, obviously, we we both know that that's just a piece of the puzzle. It's important physicality yes. and and speed, yeah. power, conditioning is important. Um, but uh, in, as strength and conditioning coaches, we we want to think it's probably way more important than it really is. Right? Yeah. It is important. Don't get me wrong. But um, you know, it, it's funny because. Uh, you know, speaking from experience, um, I, I I'm lucky enough to work with uh, a bunch of UFC guys, right? And and uh, a few of these guys are top ten in their weight classes. And um, you know, I've 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 trained with them, and I've rolled and done jujitsu with these guys. And uh, I'm stronger than them most of the time. Um, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, depending on where they are in camp, I'm I'm just as fit as they are. But then we get on the mats, dude, and it's just like, I, I just laugh because yeah. like, I am trying like hell. And, and I can survive for a little bit, but then they'll ju- I just laugh because they'll just do stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, there's, there's that discrepancy in skill and talent and thinking ahead, right? I remember um, just rolling with some guys, and, and they just ragdolled me the same way I would ragdoll my four-year-old. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, I just had to laugh because I'm like my strength right now, my conditioning, it doesn't mean shit. It'll, it maybe it'll allow me to, it will allow me to survive for a little bit longer, but they're still going to choke me out. They're still going to, you know, um, just murder me on the mat. So um, that is uh, for me was like a humbling scenario being like, you know, I'm strong and fast and conditioned. I'm a decent athlete. That should take me really far. But then I go against these savages and these studs, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am I I I'm, I quit.
1: It's what. So it's so funny you say that because I was literally in a call today. I you know I'm I'm in my position as the director of performance science, right? I I oversee and I deal with a lot of the sports science stuff. But we also have um, you know analytics and statistician people. That work with us and on staff that are like, you know, in the, in those fields, are are geniuses, right? So I'm in a, a call today, and just without super detail of it, uh, we have a bunch of data on uh, sprint testing. We 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 sprint test all our players in camp, and and um, we get all this crazy data from this machine that we use, uh, and we've given it uh, or, or working with our, our analytics department to figure out like what matters from a weight room standpoint to tra- it translate into skating speed, which is kind of the the key performance indicator for us. Like that's really the big, that's the Holy grail is making guys faster. What matters. And then looking at the on, like the actual sprint data and being able to bucket guys, is this a guy that needs to produce more force or uh, you know, more, he's a, more of a technique guy needs more, you know, technique work or whatever. And there was a bunch of examples that popped up of guys who were weight room, really, really strong, big, strong, like we use force plates. They jump through the roof. They have great numbers on that. They squat a ton, anything that you could or would measure in the weight room. They're studs. And they're like the slowest guy in the, the 10 meter sprint and not only are they slow but you we actually can break it down and look at like their force per stride and their power output and all this crazy stuff and then you've got guys on the other end that like have almost never seen a weight like a gym you know again usually european so they it's a different model they're skinny they're weak they can't squat they can't jump they can't maybe they can jump because they've got some genetic stuff but like they're, they're undeveloped, right? Like they're, we can really sink our teeth into them as strength coaches. Like I'm going to make this guy good. He's like the third fastest guy on in the entire organization. Uh, His force output on every stride is like second highest. I mean, it's like, what in the hell? And you look at it and you're like, okay, I don't understand this because nothing I see says you should be good at this. And everything we're collecting, including just literally the stopwatch time, says you are exceptional at this uh, that's humbling that's humbling because I don't know why you do that, but you do that, and that's why you were drafted really high and make a lot of money and are probably going to play in this league for a long long time so it's it's just interesting how you it's the same thing like you get on the mat. And you should be able to handle these guys, and it's like, nah, it's a different thing. I look at I look at some of our guys, and I'm like, you, like, you wouldn't make my college team. Like, you're a little child, and it's like, oh wait, no, you're not. No, you're not. I don't know why you're not, but you're not, and that's really impressive. And that's for me, that's like exciting. Like, I'm like, holy crap! Like, what is going on here? What? How do I make other guys like this guy? I don't even know what this guy is, but how do I do that? Because <laughs> yeah. he's
0: he's good. Well, I I think genetics um, obviously plays a huge role and in, and in, uh, in that, and obviously just experience. And um, speaking of kind of training with the pros, didn't you suit up at one point and hop in <laughs> net? I I remember seeing something like that. Can you uh, can you give me a, a little rundown of your experience?
1: I did. It's uh, it was um, so our our starting goalie. Uh, was came down with something, flu or something going on, um, and I so I'll backpedal a little bit. Most of the staff, like most of the, the organization, didn't know that I had ever played. Uh, certainly not that I was a goalie. But uh, we do have like a staff game on game days, and a small group of us go out and play and we just mess around. One of the people that plays is my boss, so and he's in charge of like all the medical and all the performance. Everybody. So our starting goal is kind of a little bit sick, and uh, he's still going to skate, still going to practice, but my boss comes up to me in the morning, he's like, hey, um, I told our head coach, like, you're going to put your gear on, and just be on the bench, just in case, like, if he can't make it through practice or whatever, uh, you're probably not doing anything, just go out there, just just as a backup, because uh, we, can't, we can't bring anybody up at this point, it's, you know, we're on the ice in an hour, we don't have enough time uh okay cool i'll go sit there and watch practice from the bench well sure enough like 12 minutes in he's done he like has to go yak or whatever and he's (laughs) so they you know they get him off the ice so he can go rest and i'm like oh oh shit like i'm actually going on the ice like in the nhl (laughs) and uh so i go out there and uh at first half the guys didn't even know like I was sitting on the bench with my mask on, they didn't even know that I played, and they didn't know who I was coming on the ice. And but they start to like figure it out as I go out there and warm up. And sure enough, like first real shot, like first live shot, like not just catching a couple of pucks for of warm ups. Is it like a three-on-two drill or something? They come down, and uh, pass goes from like the the top of the slot, like middle of the ice, down to kind of diagonally down to the the hash marks where our our like. All world Russian sniper, like Olympian, like absolute, like absolute killer. Winds up, one timer, first shot of practice, hits me directly in the chin. Every <laughs> buckle of my mask pops off. My mask pops off my head. I'm like, if this thing was an inch lower, it would have hit me in the throat, killed me. I would have been dead, absolutely dead. Um, so that's how I started, and then happened to be our goalie. Was still sick the next day. Sick enough that he didn't even come out, so I, I practiced the whole practice and went out, skated with our group, and um, at that point all the guys realized that uh, who I was and shot at my head a lot. They did that. They, <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> short, so it's that it, they they could claim that they were just shooting like underneath the crossbar, but they were shooting at my head. Let's so on. they didn't take it easy on you at all. Did oh my they? God, no. Oh, to there was you. no like there was like a little a couple laughs right at first. And then it was all business and it was like, it was funny. Like it, it was a lot of fun first off, but the second thing that I, I realized that was incredible to me was again, how good these guys are. I'm talking like our, our like fourth line guys, our tough guys, right. That that go out, they play a couple minutes a game and they get in a fight. Our, our third pair defensemen that, you know, only play a few minutes a night. These guys every time they would shoot the puck, like, A, they would score, B, they would score off the post and in every single time, like to the point where I could smell the rubber, I, I shit you not, I could smell the rubber from the pucks hitting the, the posts and the crossbar, like it, sm- it was burning rubber, and I'm like, you, you're a player in the National Hockey League who maybe scores one or two goals a year and this is the best shot I've ever seen in my life, ever That's seen crazy. in my life. Like, and that was the, you know, the fourth flying guy on our team. And then you move up the chart to the the Russian sniper that scores 30 goals a year. and almost killed me. Like it was, so it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was humbling, uh, but it was a blast.
0: You know, I think, you know, kind of working with professional athletes and even seeing them in their element, I I, I don't think people realize the skill level and, and, the decision-making and the concentration and the flow. Like, it's just, it's, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before. I remember the first time I really grappled with a guy that was like, um, even my, you know, my coach, uh, who's a, who's a black belt. Um, he just does things that I'm just, I, I like, he'll do so I just laugh yeah. because I'm like, there's, there's literally nothing I can do to prevent what's happening and I remember same thing you know training and grappling with some of my UFC guys especially when they were in the, the prime of that camp and I'm like there's literally there's nothing I can do to stop what's going to happen because it's just they're on such a different level and I don't think too many people have experienced that in their lives right they no, don't it's
1: it's no I'm, I agree with you it's amazing it's I like I re- I honestly believe there's there's a like a cartoon or a meme that I'm sure everybody's seen that it's it's something along the lines of uh, I think it's attributed to Einstein, but everyone's a genius. But if you ask a, a fish to climb a tree, it looks like an idiot or something something like yeah that. yeah like, that's, you know, that's you know, definitely every, an Einstein quote yeah yeah like everybody's a, a genius in something. It's just are you doing that thing? I I honestly believe like players at this level, you know, fighters at your level are geniuses at hockey at like, because again, the level, the, the things that a fourth line grinder in the NHL can do from a skill standpoint, from a, a vision standpoint, a technique, a tactical, like what they see, how they read the game is so many light years above even very, very good. Like even, you know, good division one, college hockey, like, it's not the next step it's 15 steps down it's it's mind-boggling and if you're never in that world you would never know you you have no idea but like it's an interesting thing in the nhl because we call guys up from our minor league team all the time and sometimes we call up young guys who are uh you know promising nhl prospects And you can see that in them, and you can see them do some things. You're like, okay, like, he's not there yet, but like, you can see he does those things. He sees that stuff. And sometimes we call up guys who have been career minor league guys, and they are, again, they are extraordinary hockey players. But even that difference between a guy who's been a a career minor leaguer versus an NHL, you know, an everyday NHL player, you can see a difference. There's a difference in what they're able to do, what they, how they see the game, just the little, the little nuances. I literally went out and skated. We had a return-to-play guy who was um, uh, you know, basically a, a more or less a career bubble guy, played most of his career in the, in the minors, was with us. We brought him up, and then he got hurt, so he stayed with us, and we rehabbed him. And at the end of his rehab, he went out on the ice to skate, and I went out and played. They needed a goalie, and even with him, like I could make a couple saves. He was way better than me, but occasionally I could make a save where like that fourth line guy is posting in, and it was just this little difference. And so people people that don't that aren't around that, you don't see that, and you don't see the extreme level that I I I will call genius that it takes to be at that level and it's extraordinary
0: yeah and, and just like you know the skill set and the speed and, and the velocity of things I remember um, working with um, a young kid he ended up getting drafted um, to the Cardinals he, he, he played at Duke and this kid was baseball player lefty um, He was a great hitter but he could still throw in the 90s and I remember just like playing catch with him and I remember when he started to let it fly and, and he was, he pro- I know he wasn't throwing it in his nineties to me. Like, I know that, but I remember he was, you know, he was saying he was probably throwing like eighties dude. It seemed like I was trying to catch a damn Lamborghini. Like <laughs> and it, it was honestly, if you're not used to catching a baseball coming at you at 80 miles an hour, it was scary as hell. Oh, like it was it. like, even if it hit your mitt the wrong, in the wrong place, you're like, damn it, this hurts. Like, and I was like sitting there, I'm like, I'm such a little bitch. Like, I can't, like, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but yeah. it's like the little things like that. I can't imagine how it must feel sitting in net and having these guys rip slap shots at you at over hundred miles an hour. Like people don't even think like, I don't even think people understand how fast that is. Like they've been in a car and they've done 80 miles an hour, but you don't really experience the velocity yeah. like you would if someone's throwing hard to you or, or obviously taking a slap shot it's scary. Like there's no real room for error. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a different world. I, I can't even exp- I can't even explain it very well, but I mean, little things like that, when you just, you just realize, or, or it's just, I don't know, it's just a very, very different experience. And I couldn't imagine, I mean, when these guys in the league, and this is a definitely an ignorant question, but like when these guys take slap shots easily over hundred miles an hour, right?
1: Is that, is that inaccurate? The- Uh, it's in and around a hundred, the, at the all-star game this year, I think the hardest shot was 108 Gosh. and it's, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's easily 90, uh, you know, 90 plus is a very typical, you know, probably a typical slap shot and it's the other thing about it. And this is kind of an, an off topic as an aside, as a goaltender, the other thing that these guys do that's incredible is it's not just how fast they can make the puck go but it's how quickly they they do that like there's a there's just a big difference between like if you see a guy that can shoot you know you see a again a college guy or you know at my age like a men's league guy that can really shoot really really hard but he takes this big long wind up like even as a goaltender even the even if you know it's coming at 90 you can get set, you can see the stick, you can read it, you can do all of these things. And yes, it's coming at you really, really hard, and really fast. But all this stuff preceding it is telling your brain like what's happening and where it's going. These guys, there's no like there is no preceding. Like the pass comes towards them. And then before your brain registers that they have the puck, the puck is already halfway to you. And it's going 90 miles an hour. <laughs> like it's not like So it's almost, I think about, you know, I grew up in Seattle in the the Mariners heyday and Randy Johnson could throw whatever, 103, but not only could he throw 103, but when he released the ball, he was so tall and long that his release was like, it seemed like it was four feet from the plate. Yeah. So yeah, it was 103 and it was 103 from four feet away by the time you saw it. That's how these guys are at this level is like, it's not just that it's 95 miles an hour. It's 95 miles an hour. And you didn't even realize that he was shooting it. Yeah, It's already there.
0: There's no wind. There's the, the windups minimal. There's, they're not telegraphing it. I know exactly what you're saying. Oh, it's crazy. It's um, training fighters. You see it a lot of the times. And, and uh, you know, guys that have that really quick snappy jab and you see it in pro boxing as well. They'll just sit there and all of a sudden you see the guy's head go back and you're like, dude, that dude just jabbed him out of nowhere. Yes. And his head just snapped back. And and a couple of my guys that I work with, they just they're known for that that one, two, they just set up their jab one, two, one, two, one, two, but their jet, their jab is just so quick. And there's no there's no wind up. It just snaps out of nowhere. And you're like, holy cow, like that's, but that that's a professional. That is why there is there's good at, uh, at their sport as they are. So it's just crazy, man. Look, you know, just working with people that um, at the the highest level. So um all right, hey listen, we're gonna we're gonna wind this down a little bit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a few different questions. Um all right uh favorite food
1: pizza top three beers uh focal banger from Hetty um green from uh treehouse and go sip of sunshine
0: Sip of sunshine. That's a good, that's a good one. And, uh, besides, uh, besides coach Boyle, who are two other people that, um, that have had the biggest impact on your career? Uh,
1: this is a a cheesy answer, but I'll, but it's honest, my wife, uh, because the, the, the sacrifices that I've asked of her and of our, of our family, uh, in the name of my career, like I'm not, I'm not anywhere near where I'm sitting today. Uh, if not for her, so uh corny but uh, but absolutely true um i would say uh my first strength coach who i didn't even really realize was my strength coach a guy named chris mattingly was my my high school pe teacher and really kind of uh we had an unbelievable training program when i look back at it 25 i don't i won't even tell you how many years ago a long time ago And he really lit the spark for me as far as uh, what has blossomed into this career. So those, those are my, my picks.
0: Nice. Very good. Very good. Well, um, listen, man, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We're going to do this again soon. And and next time we can, we can talk a little bit more, but um, hey, appreciate you. uh, Just let's just chat and do this again, man. It's been a lot of fun and who knows where this thing's going to go. And and once we get this thing out there, uh, hopefully we'll get some feedback and, We'll go from there. So I uh, appreciate, uh, as always, man, it's, it's a lot of fun chatting and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man.
1: I love it. I don't know if anybody's going to want to listen, but I will zoom beer drink with you anytime. Awesome. All right. We'll see you, buddy. Hey
0: everyone. It's your host, Mike. I just wanted to take a few moments to say thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate your support. If you did enjoy the podcast, I'm going to ask you for a couple favors. One, please share the podcast with your family, friends, and loved ones. Two, please give us a positive review in the App Store. Thanks so much, be safe, and God bless.